Hello, dealers. I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for joining us for the Rural Lifestyle Dealer Podcast Series. In this episode, I talk with Kelly and Mike Estes, brothers who are part of the third generation ownership of BTI, a six door John Deere dealership based in Buckland, Kansas. Kelly serves as CEO, and Mike is vice president. I've been fortunate to visit BTI previously to see how they rebuilt after a tornado on May 4th, 2007, destroyed its Greensburg location and much of the town. During this visit, the Estes brothers look back at their long history, sharing how they believe the dealership has succeeded over its last 75 years in business. They cover a lot of topics, including acquisitions, how to make the big decisions, developing next generation leaders, and the importance of loyalty. The dealership was founded by their grandfather, Ralph Estes, in 1944, who purchased the dealership from another owner. Kelly Estes says this. Did it part-time, and he ended up uh, purchasing it with another local person. He didn't have the money, so they each borrowed $5,000 to purchase BTI and start it. The partner got scared about six months into it and decided he needed to sell it out. So granddad bought it back, the $5,000, and paid him, bought him out because he was scared because of the war. You know, they were in rations and all kinds of problems, and it didn't look any end in sight, I suppose, at the time. Let's join in as Mike and Kelly talk about those early days. Well, he is the CEO of the company, and I'm a senior vice president, and we've got a lot of family members, which we can talk about too in this time frame that we have, that are involved in the corporation. So, but yeah, we've been at this, this is our 75th year. So we celebrated our 75th uh, this year, and we had a great, really good celebrations at all of our stores. Then recently, we kind of celebrated with our employees with the party for being around 75 years as well. So. We're trying to uh, recognize everybody that's contributed to the success of this dealership over the years. So, so how many? Well, you obviously probably worked in the dealership your whole lives. Is that right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, I did for sure. Um, the dealership actually started in 1944, mm-hmm. as Mike just said, and our grandfather started it. They actually purchased it uh, during the war years, and they didn't have any money, and they ran a dairy north of town, my grandparents did, and they they borrowed every penny to buy the dealership back then and um, started it from the ground up. There was a market downtown that had the John Deere dealership in it, but it was a market, like a bakery. And then they moved out here and our grandfather sold for that bakery since 1939 when he moved back and he was running the dairy, he did it part-time. And he ended up uh, purchasing it with a another local person he didn't have the money so they each borrowed five thousand dollars to purchase uh, bti and start it or start up bti the partner got scared about six months into it and decided he needed to sell it out so granddad bought it back the five thousand dollars and paid him bought him out because he was scared because of the war you know they were in rations and all kinds of problems and it didn't look any end in sight i suppose at the time Ironically, he bought him out, and then our father was uh, Maynard Estes, uh, ML Estes Sr., was in the military, he's in the Navy, a lieutenant in the Navy, and he came out in 46, and he bought in with uh, our granddad. Mm -hmm. And uh, our granddad passed away when I was five, Mike Mm -hmm. would have been 12, he was 51, and dad ended up taking it at that point 
1961 and ended up uh, uh, managing it. We had two aunts. Dad had two sisters that were part owners in the dealership at the time. Um, and they were our partners for mm -hmm. many, many years. We ended up buying most of the shares out, uh, but they owned 49% when dad got sick in yeah. 1987. So going well, way back, the $5,000, you said that they, mm. they borrowed $5,000. Was it just from the local bank? Yes, local bank. Mm -hmm. And then what was the reason to, to start a dealership? Basically, he had been selling downtown, so he kind of knew uh, he liked to sell and he knew how many tractors he was able to already put out there. Uh, in fact, we have pictures. The Furrow Magazine used to come out. They used to get railroad cars of uh, 830 tractors and actually D tractors at that time. And we have pictures of it when he'd sell so many of them, the Furrow Magazine would come out and shoot a video out by the dairy out where we lived. Yeah. And we still have those pictures. In fact, they're actually framed down front behind the receptionist. Uh, they were black and white and we had them colored. And that's our granddad on one of them. And then a guy by the name of Rick Kenneth Carlin started with our granddad as a controller and accountant. Mm -hmm. And he retired here, uh, Red Carlin retired here in 86, about the year dad got sick in 87. Those pictures, Red Carlin's on one of those, and, and we had them colored by an art studio. But those are the Furrow Magazine pictures. And uh, John Deere tractors, obviously, from, from the beginning. Yeah. And then what? They had line? Baldwin. They sold Baldwin Gleaner. I don't even know if it's called Gleaner at the time. I think it was Baldwin mm -hmm. Combines. And a lot of them were pull type back in those days. And then, of course, they built the showroom down that you walked in on. I think it was in the late 50s, early 60s, wasn't it, Mike? Mm -hmm. Yeah. The original building is still up. We just built over the top of it. So in our expansion here at Buckland, that's what we've done. We've had several additions and built on. We had several shops and uh, that were old and small, so we tore those down about two years ago now and built this brand new shop here in Buckland to accommodate the newer machinery. That It's so large now, you have to have a lot of equipment to handle it, cranes and different things within your shops, or you can't service the equipment. So times have changed pretty radically since they built this building, but you can still see the round top out back. You can see it. Well, that's great for you to, to come into work and see see that kind of history. Mm -hmm. So this was the, the first real dealership mm -hmm. uh, he sold, you said downtown. And then, uh, so was he, was he the salesperson, the service tech, everything? Okay, so you want to answer? Well, go ahead. Our, in those days, dad and granddad and Red were doing it. They were everything. They were the truck drivers. They were the salesmen. They were the pre-delivery guys. They did everything. Our grandfather's motto and Red and dad were, we service what we sell. And they had that forever until 1987 or 88 mm -hmm. when we changed it. And we didn't change it, we just added to it, you know, with our family and partnership with your family. But it's it's been a really uh, fun journey to, to see how we've been able to evolve and grow, so. And the, the area at that time, was it mostly wheat? Well, was it's it? dry land, yeah, wheat in our area. It still is, for the most part, in the Buckland area. Of course, we've expanded into other areas now. We have six stores, so we're in uh, some heavy row crop areas now. And 
So we've diversified a lot over the years. And like Kelly said, the way it's grown is pretty phenomenal when you see what's happened. Uh, where we used to, like he was talking about, where dad and grandpa used to be able to do everything, now we can't even possibly do everything. We have a lot, a lot of people, well, about 200 employees now. So that's, that's pretty significant for us. And they're very uh, specialized technical people. We are, we're hiring some of the brightest and the best that we can possibly get and in every department, quite frankly. A technician used to be called a mechanic. No, not anymore. They're uh, electrical technicians, basically. They, they have computers, iPads, phones, iPhones. I mean, they're, they're very well equipped technically, and then we send them to very good training schools so they come out and they're well trained because this modern equipment is very technical now. Uh, and so it's changed the dynamics of farming radically, even since we were in here, just a lot. Yeah, they're, they're very skilled. I'd, I'd put a BTI employee up against anybody mm -hmm. at this point because uh, we don't have any, what I'd call weak links mm -hmm. in any of our dealerships right now. We're pretty blessed with a lot of good family and a lot of good people. So, Well, and that's an accomplishment because you have small towns that you're trying to find employees in. <laughs> yes, so that, that's you... one of the biggest challenges that we do have because we are not in large metropolitan areas. The largest area we're in now is Great Bend and Pratt are two of the largest. Others are small towns, but you can imagine the town is pretty dependent on the, the businesses in the town to support it. Every, every community in rural Kansas is that way. So dealerships are, are pretty important and we understand that. That's why we love being a part of all these communities. Uh, we, we find ourselves very active in that. But finding help uh, to move to rural Kansas is hard. It really is. And we've kind of found that the better way to do that, especially with the technicians, is to uh, grow them up locally. If they're in the school down here or local high schools, if we can get them involved uh, with our dealership somehow to where they're interested in maybe going further into training, uh, that's been very successful. And then on the side of the uh, hiring for administration and those kind of things, a lot of times you're looking for trained people and our communities generally have those. Uh, if they don't, we try to provide them as much as we can to get them to come out here and take a look at Kansas or, or look at rural Kansas and our small towns. So it's been challenging. The dynamics of an agricultural technician has changed dramatically mm -hmm. in the last decade. Mm -hmm. It used to be, you know, that a technician was, you didn't think of it as a high paying job, but now it's, it outpays most uh, types of vocational jobs that are out there. And it's two year program. We put 30, over 30 graduates through that program. And then now we since uh, give full ride scholarships, room, book, tuition, board, and all they have to do is, uh, used to be they had to work for us three years, now it's five years, and then they pay it back a year at a time. And it's worked out really well. They come out without any debt, out of school, and these technicians, uh, they can start anywhere from forty-five to $50,000 base salary and on up from there. And then the other reason we build these facilities that like Buckland you're seeing today, or actually all of our shops and facilities are real similar, is because you really can't get qualified good technicians to, 
to stay in your communities if they don't have the right work environment to start with. So we have created that atmosphere that these shops are state-of-the-art and they're good places to work. Plus, BTI is hopefully the BTI culture uh, video that uh, is out there and then the uh, ag tech recruitment video that's out there that our marketing people, Carly and marketing people have put together has really created an atmosphere where used to be we had to take just about anybody that would do it now that we have done this. Uh, we're starting to be able to be selective. We're getting some really good qualified people that want to to get an education and they do come out with associate's degree and uh, if they don't wish to do that they can go on and get a four-year degree you know that's already going towards their mm -hmm. four-year but quite honestly you know we have the second class that graduated 28 years ago we have one of those is actually worked up to our corporate service manager and then the other one has worked up to our integrated, he's the assistant and uh, helps manage the uh, integrated solutions team. So both of those are still with us and they've been there 28 years with BTI. So that program has worked really well. And currently I think we have 14 students going through it right now again. And our goal is to keep at least two per location going through every year. And it's a two year program, so six months uh, we'll get some graduates coming out. We'll have some uh, new students going in. So we always have a flow of uh, qualified ag tech students uh, that come into the dealership. Plus, they're, played, they're paid on their grade point average as they're going through school. They get paid based on how they perform. And that way, when they come out, they're incentivized. And they already know that they're going to be incentivized in our dealership because that's how we operate. And these, this program, are they at the various community colleges mm -hmm. around the community then? Okay. So there's three now that we go to. Uh, Garden City was the original one that we used. Then there was Milford, which I think was actually before Garden City, Milford, Nebraska. And then they just put a new one about three, four years ago in Fort Scott, I believe, Kansas. We'd like to have more. I mean, it, to be honest, they're full most of the time. And we're trying to get John Deere or the company to look at, with technology, we think it'd be easier than the old days that they could bring in and have more uh, colleges in the central part of the state. And it's easier to get those students to want to move closer to home than it is to go east or west or north. Good program though, outstanding program. And you mentioned the BTI culture as part of that. So you're giving them uh, the training, you're giving them incentives, but then you also back it up with um, the culture that's BTI. So what what is that? How do you make that um, apparent to them, and how does that how do the employees carry that out? I think the the tagline that we have our family in partnership with your family is, says a lot about our dealership. That's what we've uh, always promoted from Grandpa's days, for that matter. But we really put it put it into words a few years ago. And that involves everybody from the top down from Kelly to all of our management team all the way through the stores. We're trying to promote that kind of culture, a family business. We're a family business and we feel like our employees need to be treated as families, as their families. And part, we see it as a partnership, not just the employees, but uh, that also pertains to the customer. 
uh, our customers, we want them to feel like family. And in many cases, we've been dealing with these people for generations. And that has paid off. You know, loyalty is a key ingredient now that's missing in a lot of businesses today. We value loyalty uh, very much so. And you've got to earn that. It isn't just given to you. We have to show loyalty to our employees as well as our customers. And then that comes back to you. We feel if you give, it'll come back. And that's what we're trying to do, even within the communities, giving to our communities and supporting community activities. And those kind of things are so important in small towns. I, you just can't overemphasize that. But it really comes back to you. And they become, they, they want to buy from you because, well, basically they kind of like you. You know, I mean, you have to be uh, liked in a sense. You know, we're not in there to be liked. We're hopefully a profitable business and that's what we designed ourselves to be. But we still have to provide some, uh, some sense of security for our employees and for the community that we're going to be around to serve them for generations to come. We don't want to just be here. We're the third generation. We got the fourth generation coming in. So we expect that that's just going to continue. That's the way we've laid out the ground groundwork for our dealership in their future. I think a lot of the what Mike said, the, the value that you bring to the customer is something too that they remember. Because if you can create a value in these kind of times or you hit, I mean, we've seen the 80s. You're, you're talking to we're old guys, so we saw how tough it was in the 80s. And a lot of people compare now to the 80s, and there's no comparison, really. Uh, it's not a fair comparison because interest rates were 19%, and there wasn't any money. And now interest rates are 3%, and there's several trillion dollars sitting on the sidelines. But it is tough on our farmer and our customers, and their commodity prices are not what they should be, and they haven't been. But I will tell you that, you know, if we can create a value and, and, and a service uh, that not to just charge the maximum amount we can get away with, but actually show them value of why BTI is the, the company to do business with. Um, and I think we've, we preach that to our people. It starts at the top and it filters all the way down through, uh, all of our managers and all of our people throughout from from the 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 janitor all the way to the top and and if they know we care about our customers and we care about our employees and we send that signal out daily um, it comes back we have some of the most outstanding customers in the world and and they are generational and we're talking three and four generations that dealt with our granddads and <laughs> and dads mm, yeah. and it, and it's fun it's actually our business for for mike and i i think it's gotten fun it was a lot of work in the early days uh and but we've got the right mix and the right people around us uh, that take care of the day-to-day -day, and it's really created a fun family atmosphere mm. for us well let's talk a little bit about the growth of the dealership so you started here, a small shop, mm -hmm. and then you know what has happened over the years? What would be the, the major milestones in terms of <laughs> locations and buildings? Well, probably the, one of the big ones was the first step we took which into expansion, which was Greensburg, and that was 96. December. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We bought that store and uh, undertook just basically managing and running that store. 
Um, we've had two locations for a number of years up until really it was 06 we bought Nest City. So, uh, and then 07 the tornado hit and that changed everything pretty radically for sure. We lost that entire store and, and uh, the equipment at that store, which was a lot of equipment. A lot of it was farmer equipment, by the way. But it was right before harvest, so it was big, big thing. Uh, but a couple weeks later, we got an opportunity to talk to a dealer at Pratt, and he was ready to retire and uh, spend some time with his grandkids. So uh, we talked to him and we bought it, you know, and took it over in July. Is that we right? bought it on. We bought it on uh, May the 16th. Tornado yep. was May 4th, uh -huh. and we ended up. He wanted us to take it in June. We ended up taking it over in July. July. The Nest City store that Mike was referring to mm -hmm. was actually was bought in March of 07, mm -hmm. but we had to renovate it and get it. And it actually opened May 1, the tornado yep. was May 4th. So we ended up getting Nest City open mm -hmm. May 1, tornado May 4th, mm -hmm. bought Pratt May 16th. So we mm -hmm. went from 56 people to 128 mm -hmm. in a little over a month. And it was mm -hmm. a challenge. I, we won't tell you when, mm -hmm. plus we lost the community we were in, not just part of a town, the whole mm -hmm. town. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of challenges back then, but you know, what, what really was interesting and what is a real blessing is from 07, when that tornado hit to 13, agriculture took a turn for the better. Mm -hmm. We made more money in those years than we made the prior 20 mm -hmm. or 25. And who knew? I mean, it, it kind of propelled us to have to get out of the box and buy those locations. And, and it could have backfired real easy. But the economy and five dollar corn and and wheat went seven bucks mm. and stayed there, you know, for a long time. So it actually, we borrowed a lot of money to get back on the map. Everybody thought insurance made mm. it. It wasn't insurance mm. that made it our money. It was the good Lord, and mm -hmm. we rolled the dice. And the Estes family, that happened on a Friday. We sat here with John Deere on Saturday and Sunday trying to determine if we were going to build Greensburg back. We didn't even know if they'd let us. And then when they told us they would, and we announced it um, on the news media that Monday that we were going to come back, you know, everybody thought that was pretty, pretty mm -hmm. good. And it just kind of propelled us. And the good Lord, I think, mm -hmm. blessed us. Uh, <laughs> but, it, yeah. but, and that's kind of what. Uh, set us in motion to keep the growth that you're talking about. And then we ended up basically, uh, we had Pratt, and then the next one uh, available would have been uh, Hoxie. Mm -hmm. And Hoxie was offered to us in 15, and that's a ground up facility. We did not buy a John Deere dealership, and it's actually the same building that we created in Greensburg on steroids. It's a little bigger, but it's the same floor plan and it's located on Highway 24 and is 29 acres west of the town of Hoxie, a uh, brand new facility, and it's doing real well. And that was in 15. And then in 17, uh, we had been uh, waiting for other opportunities if they came available, and we were able to purchase uh, Great Bend in uh, April. Mm -hmm. Is that right? January yeah. is when we started and mm -hmm. got it in April of 17. And that's been another great location for us. Mm -hmm. uh, county seat, and it's the biggest uh, population area mm -hmm. than Pratt. Yeah. So the growth has really um, 
been fairly methodical mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah, we we actually are different, unique, I think, in some respects. We have six large ag locations in 29 counties. A lot of dealerships have 13, 14 locations in 32 counties. I'd rather have our overhead in these kind of times than... You know, we don't have 500 people, we have 200 and they're the best in the business. And I think it just worked for us. Like I say, somebody's looking out after us, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, definitely. We try to be strategic about where we're heading, you know, uh, and there's some method to our madness when we look out there and see what we've done and why we did these particular things. Yeah, a tornado kind of threw a kink into things, but then we kind of regrouped. And the other thing we're really, uh, I think, blessed by, like Kelly said, is the fact that we had so much family involvement. If if we didn't have family, I don't think we mm-hmm. could have done all these things that we're talking about today. Uh, we got a, about nine to 10 people directly involved in the, in the dealership, our wives and uh, cousins and son-in-laws, and <laughs> you name it, uh, they're all in here. And uh, Kelly's got his son, Jeremy's involved in the store very heavily and his wife Kay. So he's a corporate sales manager and he's also, you know, tapped to be an, a corporate leader. So I think that's exactly how we want to move forward. We're still set up in a, in a fashion where we can, can grow where, where it makes sense. We, we don't want to just grow because we want to grow. We want to grow because there's an opportunity there that makes sense for our family, our trusts uh, that uh, is running running the family in a sense, and our employees, because we have to consider that. Uh, sooner or later, you run out of family. So we really need to have very, very good corporate employees, and we do. Kelly told you about a few of them that came up through the ranks. We try to promote from within wherever we can. Really, we do, because they're part of the culture. They know they know our systems. We are very, very big as a dealership on processes, so we're very process-driven, and we have them written down, and we have them followed as much as we possibly can follow them. We have an HR director and an HR department. Uh, and so we, we try to, to move this ball. As you grow, you find you need more opportunity, more people. Uh, a marketing director, for instance, we had to have that because Kelly and I and our family can't do all that. It's, it wasn't even our level of expertise. So we find people that do do that very well. And that's how we're looking to build our dealership. Family is important. It's critical. It has to keep us moving. But we've got to bring more people in alongside that family to bolster it and, and uh, fill the gaps where we just can't do it. We actually, uh, Mike indicated my son mm-hmm. Jeremy Estes, and he's the corporate uh, sales manager. Mm-hmm. He's hired all the managers of every location. Mm-hmm. He's hired the assistant managers of every location. He's hired all the salespeople now at all locations. We've had several retire mm-hmm. that he didn't hire, but and then he he oversees every deal with them. He trusts them. Uh, he's the guy that's got to carry the load with those managers down the road. So we've set that in motion, and he's a successor to Deer uh, mm-hmm. as far as Deer knowing that something happens to Mike mm-hmm. or I, that's where it heads. Mm-hmm. So it's really, uh, you know, Mike said process-driven, no doubt. We've been that way since the early 80s. 
uh, written business plans, financial plans, annual plans that we get together and and we have a semi-annual meeting with all our managers to make sure that each department has done their breakouts and they're all on the same page. Uh, I think communication is key uh, to a lot of our success and our and the ability to do that through our our family of employees and our family uh, immediate family that has been here quite a while so we couldn't do it like Mike said we couldn't do it without any of it mm-hmm. titles one thing but mm-hmm. actually doing walking the walk is another so mm-hmm. been real rewarding the loyalty you talked about though so it it's a kind of a built-in loyalty that you have to your family that you can you know where where they stand their commitment to your dealership I think that's exactly right that's mm-hmm. how we've seen it too you know and it's really important as we mentioned the Greensburg scenario uh, wow that was such a devastating deal uh, without the family to kind of back up and do the things that needed to be done to rebuild that dealership and as Kelly mentioned the community in a real sense um, I, I don't know that it could have been done. So I think we were really uh, blessed by that whole situation, but it was extremely tough. And it's kind of interesting. Other dealerships have been hit by tornadoes, floods, and things. They call us and they ask for like some kind of, what did you guys do? How did you do that? And this, So we've kind of become a resource for other disaster situations within. It's not just green dealers. I mean, it could be red dealers or other other brands uh, have talked to us too. So it's interesting. Well, we actually served on the Federated Advisory Board uh, for a couple terms, and and during that process, they uh, they kind of made us the poster child uh, for them because of the disaster. It was a national disaster, and Bush came to town twice. And, mm-hmm. They actually, we helped develop a written disaster plan for other dealers across the country via through uh, Federated, which has it out there mm-hmm. right now. Uh, it's been a, I mean, it's been an interesting process. The the other thing is you learn from your <laughs> mistakes and, you know, we did, we had insurance, but there was never enough insurance to cover that kind mm-hmm. of catastrophic loss. And we had, uh, I think there was, uh, $14.5 million of other people's equipment. It was three weeks before harvest on our property and we had $24 million loss of ourselves. And there was mm-hmm. no way we could survive mm-hmm. And if those economic times hadn't changed. So it humbles you a little bit mm-hmm. when you really see that. And then you see how many people, your companies, your peers, the other dealers that jumped on to help us mm-hmm. uh, was phenomenal. Um, you know, it, it really did uh, propel us ahead. The The actual loss, uh, the amount of money we were given went to our company for the floor plan. One thing we learned is to spread your inventories. If there's any lesson for dealers that might listen to this is to spread your inventories. We only had the two locations really at the time, even though Ness was just opening, but we had the majority of our machinery located in that town, which if we'd have had half of it over here, at least your assets would have been more protected. So we learned some value. And then on on that Sunday when we were sitting, trying to determine whether we were gonna come back or not, that was tough for us to decide because we were either gonna take what money, little money, we didn't send to John Deere and and take our assets over here and and sell it and close out. And it was discussed many Mm -hmm. times 
that day what we should do. And of course, we decided to roll the dice and go the other way, which was maybe we're led that way, but it was, it's been a good process. So it's interesting that you were, at that time, you had, at the time of the tornado, so you had Buckland and you had Greensburg. Mm -hmm. So was there a part of that process where you said, I, we don't want to do Ness City? Um, or could you not have backed out at that point? Well, at that point, we were committed done. to Ness City. Yeah, yeah, it was so already built. It was just not opened yet. Uh, but it was, like Kelly said, open that first of May. So, but then the tornado hit shortly after that. So we were committed to that. We probably weren't as committed to Pratt because we just bought that and we hadn't even taken over yet. But we, as Kelly said, we, we did a lot of soul searching on that deal and had listened to advice from Deer and other people. But it was, in the end, it was our decision to go ahead and rebuild that site. And we decided it was well worth the time because we wanted to be, as we said earlier, the loyalty factor kind of kicks in. And we were pretty loyal to that community. And we had some really, really, and still do, very good customers over there. And they were wanting us to rebuild. <laughs> so you, you got all these things going on and swirling around in your head. Uh, and finally, we just ended on the fact that we were going to go ahead and rebuild and try to get everybody. I mean, if you consider we were one of the major employers in that whole town. So we knew we, were, we needed to kind of be there if we could keep our people there. Fortunately, we did get Pratt. That was very fortunate because we could send some people over there to work. We could send some people to Buckland to work and Ness City. And we did all of that uh, so we could save our employees because the town was gone. So there was no place. They didn't even have houses. So we had to do something. And so that's kind of what we did. We did open a temporary. We pulled in a double wide uh, mobile home and uh, that we had rented and then we put up a shop very quickly right back on the site where we had a building setting and operated that way for two years uh, just with a temporary facility which is part of what these dealers ask us what'd you guys do in the meantime because you had no facility well we put one in and uh, ended up selling the building we put up to the fire department over there at Greensburg so they have it's now the fire station over there. But uh, we thought it was worthwhile because we bought ground on the other side of town. Uh, another, a local guy had sold us some ground. Actually, it was the, the dealer that owned the dealership in the first place had that ground. We bought that off of him and rebuilt over there. Uh, we just didn't have a lot of space. Uh, we'd lost so much and there wasn't a lot of lot space left over there. And we sold that facility to the hospital is what we did. That ground, we sold the ground and moved to the other side of town. That's why we moved out there. It's a, it's a lot better area and we bought some acreage so we can have some demos and things out in that area. It just make, made more sense. The I, other the other thing that kind of worked in our deal of our decision making is there's another brother that's older than we are, mm -hmm. uh, Bud Estes or Maynard Estes Jr. Uh, and he was mayor and farming and wasn't as active in the store, even though he sold and had an office here for 42 years. But he ended up volunteering that Sunday to go run the Nest City location, which made it more palatable for us to take care of, of what had to happen down here with Pratt and the other. So it was kind of a, an overall written plan of how we were gonna proceed and luckily, like Mike said, we had the backing of the family that made sacrifices to make that happen.
Well, let's talk about the tornado. This was obviously, when you, you use the word propel, mm-hmm. um, it propelled your dealership, but it also propelled you personally in the national spotlight. Um, can you give some highlights about, you know, the size of the tornado, you know, what happened with President Bush and um, also the leadership with the whole Greensburg becoming a green community? Well, I would say it was it was extremely challenging. I mean, when the tornado hit on, on my side, I was in Wichita. He was here in Buckland because that's I was in Wichita at some medical tests. And so I didn't get there for about a, a day or two because you couldn't even get into town. So that's what happened. But it was uh, extremely devastating for the entire community. Just coming into that town was a, a shock, you know. And so we and Bush came, what'd you say, four Happened or five? on a Friday, Friday, came on Tuesday. Yeah, and he mm-hmm. came to town. And that was the interesting part about it, it was, it's almost like a blur. It's almost like, okay, did this really happen? Are you walking with the president around on your de- devastated lot? And we were. But one thing that I t- really recall is he did ask us, what are you guys going to do? He asked that question specifically. And our response was, we're going to rebuild here because we'd already made the family decision. The, the one we were talking about had already been made. Now that was made on that Sunday? Yeah, pretty much, yeah, before he Sunday. came. Uh-huh. He came on Tuesday. Yeah, so we had already started the business uh-huh. group. Him and I had already started the business group in the community because the chamber was there, but it wasn't real active. And, mm-hmm. and let's face it, who was there gonna be, even be a chamber? So we called all the business people, that's another leader in the community, and we had uh, 116 businesses show up that uh, following week and determine how many were going to be there. But on President mm-hmm. Bush, I couldn't figure out how he determined what businesses he was going to come and see, which he chose to see BTI. And his press secretary is the one that told me that she saw uh, an interview on Monday when we said we were going to come back on Neil Cavato live. And she's the one that said he saw it and said he wanted to meet with us. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty neat. And then Pat Roberts and Moran and Sebelius were all in our building with us when he showed up. So uh, we were pretty much asleep. We didn't get a lot of rest from Friday to Wednesday. And we don't, it was kind of a fog and we don't remember. (laughs) I I remember one incident really well. Uh, We were walking on the property and he had, he wasn't supposed to touch him. They gave us all kinds of instructions and he wanted to meet our 13 families that lost their homes in the town. I mean, there was more devastation, but the ones that really lost them, which he got to do that. And that was fun, take pictures of them. And they said, whatever you do, keep your hands inside your pockets. Well, he started hugging on everybody and kissing on <laughs> family. And it was pretty neat because he said, these are my people. And he told the Secret Service to back off right in front of us, which was pretty neat. But he had his arm around my our sister, Letty, which Letty's a VP and been with us a long time. And she's our controller, our sister. And she handles all admin and all control throughout the dealerships. But she's walking with him and he looks up, she looks up at him and says, Mr. President, I can't believe you're here. And, and we were all just kind of, you know, in a daze. And he says, well, young lady, I can't believe I'm the president. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was a pretty relaxing atmosphere and he created that, you know, so. Um, and then he, he stood in the contempt corner of our building and told people what they were gonna do mm-hmm. to help this community, not BTI, mm-hmm. 
this community get back on the map. And he basically followed through on every, every bit of it. And he told us he'd been through enough disasters. He told us what to expect you know, as far as how people would react. And he said, look out, because there will be a time of anger. And believe me, that happened. So very wise, but uh, very humbling how many, how many people could say they've met the President of the United mm -hmm. States. He came back 12 months later and asked to see uh, three couples. And Debbie, my wife and I were one of the three that got to sit down with him on a private interview before the commencement of the high school the, the next year. So mm -hmm. uh, just to see how things were progressing and, and how we were doing. So. And he handed 18 kids their diplomas. Yeah, he, he did this. He, he did, did the graduation. Talk. He did a commencement yeah, speech. So it was really quite in a, the makeshift quite a gymnasium. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So far, Mike and Kelly Estes have talked about BTI's beginnings, its acquisitions, and how it has evolved. In the next part of the discussion, they share more details about the tornado and how the rebuilding of the dealership and the city captured national attention. They also talk about what the future looks like for BTI and discuss the impact of the rural lifestyle market on this traditional ag dealership. So at that time, you also helped with the, the initiative of this, this green community, is that right? With your dealership as, as a model facility? Well, really what happened there, Greensburg kind of uh, got a lot of national attention uh, from, you know, all, all over the nation, but Hollywood particularly in, in one case was uh, Leonardo DiCaprio had green stuff going on and others and it just and it ended up bringing the Discovery Channel to town. That's kind of what happened. They came to town with all their cameras and their crews and really they wanted to watch a green community being built back from the ground up. That was the whole idea and the premise of the deal. And so it started that way, and the community uh, members, the leadership of the community, the mayor and those, the council, they got on board with that, that if they could rebuild to a standard of green, it could maybe bring more attention to the community. That's what they did. We, as a business in town, because we, as Kelly indicated, we were kind of heading up or helping head up a, uh, kind of a community business initiative to get businesses to stay in town, because most of them were gonna leave, and get new businesses to come to town. So that's what we were doing. And so we, once again, gets back to family decisions. We as a family decided, well, if that's what the communities are gonna do, let's get behind that initiative. And that initiative was called LEAD, Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. And they wanted to build their buildings to a LEED standard. And the highest standard of LEED is platinum. We looked at that. There's never been a dealership or even a John Deere building that we were aware of at the time built with LEED anything. But we talked, even with Deere, got them involved to help behind the, they didn't pay for this, but they got behind the initiative and they wanted to see us do this uh, to a LEED platinum design level. So that building was designed with LEED platinum 
standards in mind. So it has some very energy, it's really all about energy efficiency is what it really is. So that's what we did. And we got to the lead, it was tough, it was real tough. Uh, we didn't think we could get there for a while. We thought we'd maybe silver or gold or something, but we had enough built into there that we got the lead platinum standard. And since that time, uh, interestingly enough, Deere has built buildings that are lead, at least lead gold, if not platinum, uh, for their own usage. I think it's gold mm -hmm. up in uh, Olathe. So they have a, a building up there. So. It's, it's been a, quite a deal on that, but then the community, they have a lot of lead buildings over there. A lot of them are platinum, so. The lead process at the time was a big push because of the green initiative across the U.S. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then when they announced they're gonna build Greensburg Green in the middle of the Bible Belt, and everybody and their dog came to town because they thought there was a lot of money being funneled through, which there wasn't. Um, in fact, they didn't have a lot of money. But uh, think Leonardo, DiCaprio, and Discovery, and the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Gates Foundation, and everybody coming in to try to build that back to that initiative is what kind of saved it to at least give it, to at least give it, not saved it, but at least give it an opportunity. And uh, the economy was a wreck. The ag economy wasn't, but the rest of the economy was for quite some time. And so there were a lot of desperate people looking for money and that kind of brought everybody to town and trying to filter through that was kind of a mess. But the reality TV show kind of filtered through a lot of that. We had some really great leadership uh, from the area of rural development come into town and help us. And all of the four letter words, the FEMAs, the USDAs, the, you could go on and on about all the people that came to help. But uh, uh, for us, you know, it was uh, very humbling to see how many people, how many good people are out there. As far as lead standard, BTI is, is builds sustainability. We do not build lead. I, I wouldn't encourage people to go build lead at this time. I would tell them to build sustainable uh, things into their projects because they do work. And there's a lot of good products out there that, that you could do, but LEED is not a, a standard that I would tell them that, to look for at this point. Is it related to the cost of some of those? It's in rural areas especially. It's kind of lost its luster in rural areas because you have to get your product within 500-mile radius, of, and you have to weigh it in and weigh it out. Uh, there's just way too much uh, red tape when it comes to LEED at that time. Now, maybe they've changed. Uh, to be fair to LEED, uh, maybe they've changed those standards. I haven't kept up with it. But there are things that are built into that facility that are built into HOXI in 15 and, and Pratt in, four, in 11. We built a whole new facility in Pratt. Uh, so, you know, and in, in Buckland, a lot of the stuff that was put into those facilities, we still do to this day. And, and it really does cut on uh, utilities and expense and, and draw on energy. That was actually our first building from the ground up in 75 years. We just added on and added on and bought old facilities. We didn't go build one. In that community, we had to build one. And so, and we had to build it under, as Kelly said, very extenuating circumstances. And Greensburg still very, very rural, so getting any kind of product in there was difficult when you had no facilities in the town. 
So it was, was tough, but as Kelly indicated, and he's right, we learned a lot from that, that experience. And we kind of tried to carry over the things that worked, disregard the things that don't work, carry over the things that worked, put them into our, our shops and our buildings, our facilities. And so it was a learning experience, I would tell you that for sure. Do you remember any of those um, things that didn't work? that you're not going to go forward with anymore in other facilities? What do you think? <laughs> you got, there's, there's several. <laughs> well, the bike rack out front probably yeah, isn't that's not, the, not. The other one is probably the HVAC. The, the system in there that we put in is surgical air. In other words, it's that quality. We did it basically because of the leadership in the community and the, the, uh, the trying to, to push that lead and green initiative, we voted to spend the extra revenue, but it was closer to, you know, they said 6%, it was closer to 15%. That facility in Greensburg cost us more money to build in, in 2000, well, so nine, was, uh, yeah, so in 2009, mm -hmm. cost more money it's a bigger, larger facility in Hoxie, Kansas in 2015 because of LEED. Mm -hmm. there, and, and not that it was bad. It was an, an unknown for us. You know, we were learning as we went. Do we regret it? Mm, I don't think we regret it because, I mean, my brother Mike became the most world-famous tour guide <laughs> in Greensburg, Kansas because John Deere was flying people from other countries, dealers from other countries in. Everybody was looking at that initiative, but we were had been experienced enough. Mike had seen enough of it with the lead initiative that we only told them to go back and build what worked. And don't just build it. Mm -hmm. And so we, and Deere picked up on that too and, and helped us uh, design that mm -hmm. layout. So it was a it was a win-win all the way around. Yeah, I don't, if you had to do, like Kelly said, build lead, no, we wouldn't do that. But we were doing it because basically we felt like people were watching and we wanted to help the community, essentially. Put, put that green foot forward. Because that if, they, if we had a business like ours that could achieve a lead platinum status, it says a lot about your, uh, you know, your resilience and your willingness to come back into a town that's been totally devastated. So it was kind of like, that's okay, let's put our money where our mouth is. And we did that. But in the process, we learned a lot of things. Like you said, did work, didn't work. Skylights aren't the best thing in hail country. We learned that. So those kinds of things you kind of <laughs> you don't do again, you know, but you, but high efficiency lighting works everywhere, you know? So that's what we've done in all our shops. In floor heat works everywhere and you can burn used oil to generate that heat. Those kinds of things work very well. And so I think we did did pick up a lot of things that uh, we can carry forward on. But yeah, we I, I agree with Kelly. Building to a lead standard in in a rural area is extremely difficult. I mean, I can't tell you how hard that was to get that platinum. Hmm. It was excruciatingly hard. But because most of that is urban. 
that lead platinum levels and gold. I mean, those are urban things uh, that you can do. A bike rack, like Kelly said, and things that, I, that bike rack's not been used once that I know of. Well, and, uh, but we got a point in the lead status for it, so we put it there. But certain things just uh, don't make sense. The facility is very, very nice, yeah. and and it it does send the right signals, and we we enjoy the fact that we have that facility, mm-hmm. and no regrets. We we basically ended up having to pay our insurance, or our floor plans, and all of our companies back, and then by taking what little money we had, we bought 16, 14 days after bought Pratt, and the rest of the uh, deal for Greensburg was borrowed at 100%. We didn't have any capital to keep moving forward. It was just a, a blessing it turned out. Mm-hmm. So, but you know, disasters happen all over. Mm-hmm. You gotta get over them. You know, you can only live when pain and suffering so long and <laughs> feel sorry for yourself so long. And and honestly, it's, uh, we're, we've been over that. Yeah. And, and, you know, we just hope that other people have learned from the experience that yep. we've been able to relay some of that or the disaster plans or we've had many, many, many dealerships that have had disasters that call us and ask us for advice and we don't mind helping them out if we can. But that part of it's been good, you know, and then our company has been really good to us. Uh, Deers has opportunities have come up, not that we've taken on all of them. We aren't a dealership that just goes out and buys because we can. Like Mike said earlier, mm-hmm. uh, we've actually turned down areas mm-hmm. of locations because strategically, number one, financially, it didn't make sense or our family, mm-hmm. the way we want to operate it couldn't be there. Um, you know, we bought out our aunts, we bought out our partners. We really aren't looking to merge and have more partners. It isn't, it isn't a mm-hmm. BTI or an Estes or mm-hmm. our family culture. Mm-hmm to do that, so. So if we look at your 75 years, we've talked about the, the growth through locations, we, th- we talked about the major milestones with the uh, tornado. It, what other things come to mind? I'll ask each of you, we'll start with you, Mike. What comes to mind just when you think about your company, uh, your company, family's company over the 75 years, what, what milestones come to mind? Well, certainly all of the different aspects of the acquisitions of the dealerships as we go. Those are milestones all along the way. Um, Myself, personally, you know, I spent some time in California. So I'm one of the brothers that has come and gone a little bit. So I've spent 14 years out there in uh, in basically in a a high-tech industry. And so I I came back into the dealership in 92 and after talking with Kelly and Letty and Bud and decided to make that move back in. So and we still had one store because we didn't buy Greensburg until 96. So I came back into a single store. So I've seen the growth through that period and I was gone for a while, came back. And now we look at it and we say, well, at that time, I remember having conversations with Kelly and Letty and Bud, what do we want to do? Do we want to grow and go forward or what do we want to do? And once again, we get back to family. We all decided we want to grow. So we were looking for an opportunity. And we didn't create that, it, it came along. You know, like Kelly said, we were blessed with an opportunity to get Greensburg and we took that shot. And that changed the dynamics pretty radically. Um, Kelly, when I was gone in those years, 
he was basically kind of heading up things with uh, dad while he was alive in the 80s, but he died in 89. So Kelly was the CEO, but also uh, Bud was involved and went through a period of uh, combine sales. Uh, Kelly, he can tell you more about that, but he jumped into combines and Basically, I think that saved the company in, in a real sense. I think that they, their focus there was, was the right one. It was a ton of work. It was a tremendous challenge for him and the company to do that. I mean, we were selling, when I came back, we were selling 200 combines out of one location. So, I mean, that's a lot from one location. So it's a milestone, but we realized that can't continue. That can't be our model moving forward. So in 92, 93 and moving forward, we set out as a family to let's change the dynamics here, get get on the map with some more locations and see what where that happens. And it was those were milestones to me. I mean, those that's what comes to my mind. And I think just having uh, getting more family. My sister Letty, she, our sister, she wasn't in the store. She got in there in the 80s and she was a milestone to get her in there to replace the guy that had retired, uh, Kenneth Carlin. And so all of these adding different people at different times, Jeremy and Kay, and uh, we've got uh, Ron Yancey is a cousin in here and he's been very critical. So the, the Yancey family and uh, Brad Estes is Bud's son. He's in here. Uh, we've got so many, you know, to name uh, our wives, Christy and Debbie. Christy's my wife. Debbie's his. Are critical. Uh, those to me are milestones because that's family bringing bringing family in alongside to support and help one another. So those are good. Um, as I said a while back, we run out of family. So we have to have other milestones. So we brought in a gentleman, uh, when Cody Dick is his name, but he's uh, our great men's store manager. And I used to work for John Deere. And he is an excellent, excellent guy to have as a resource person to come alongside Jeremy and all of us because of his knowledge. Uh, all of our other store managers that we have were kind of milestone guys because we we brought them in as salesmen for the most part and brought them up and those things create things. Probably one of the bigger things that I can think of as a milestone for the dealership in 93 we started the planning meeting Kelly was talking about and we've had it every year since that time and we take all of our managers and, uh, and our salespeople and our key administrative people off-site for a couple of days and we lay out the processes he was talking about. We lay out the plans. What are we going to do next year? What's some long-term things? What can we going to do? That's a milestone, you know. Uh, it's been a real, uh, I think, help for everybody. Kind of sets the stage for the future. So, and like I said, I was gone for a while, so Kelly will have some newer and other experiences, you know, he can share on that too. What, what comes to mind for you? There's several milestones uh, in my mind that might hit on the big one, uh, the family and the involvement and, and the different time frames for which they came in. And they've all been a part and they've all contributed in some way throughout all of those processes that we have that have, have been significant. Um, you know, I think uh, dad getting sick in 87 um, was a big one for me. You know, I was 30 years old and mm -hmm. and we 
I'd worked through uh, out of college and moved back and that generation you work Mike did this too and mm -hmm. so did Bud and you work in the service shop and then you work in parts and then you work in sales mm -hmm. and then you so you learn it from the ground up that's just how they operated and you didn't go to being manager day one and and then it teaches you what everybody goes through that work there plus the ground up business what you do uh, you'd learn to respect what others go through I think was a big part for me I do think in, you know, the opportunity that uh, it gave me with cancer was the fact that if we were going to, if they wanted me to lead it, which, you know, at that time I said, okay, we'll do that, but we need to have some type of uh, documents that, because I know they want to be fair and I want to be fair to the family that at that time wasn't there, but came back, <laughs> which was a blessing. Uh, and then uh, the opportunities uh, grew, but by setting up the trust and the documents for succession for generations, uh, if, if it happened, I mean, we're talking in the 80s, and we didn't even know whether it could happen, but we, we had a goal uh, when we set it in motion, and, and I told them I would take it as long as they set it in motion like that and dad wanted to so it really from the ground up happened and then just the milestones like Mike calling one day after being gone 14 years wanting mm -hmm. to come back and bring in the process that he's talking about that was a process he learned in California that mm -hmm. I guarantee I wouldn't have the expertise to do and we've uh, we've taken that and molded it and, and actually mm -hmm. developed and have even grown it to a different proportion mm -hmm. than when it started um, you know, my wife's, uh, Christy came back with Mike and she started working in admin under Letty. Letty Bachelor, mm -hmm. our sister, is the controller. Mm -hmm. And then my wife has worked for Letty for 30 years. Jeremy's work. My son came back out of college, called one day and said, hey, I'd like to get in the dealerships. It wasn't definite he was ever going to do that. And he's the successor and the, the place, person that's going to replace me and he's been there 20 years. Kay Estes, we tried to hire, that's my daughter-in-law, that's Jeremy's wife, and she works for Letty, and she's the assistant to Letty now that's gonna replace her position. We're molding that currently, so that's a big milestone that I couldn't have survived. There's no way Mike or the Estes family without Kay coming back with her accounting expertise to run the business loss for Greensburg. I begged her to come to work before the tornado, but she was happy with her job and she didn't want to change. She saw what had happened to the family and she came right in at the right time. Mm -hmm. And that managed that business loss. Mm -hmm. um, I've helped a lot of dealerships understand business loss because we didn't understand mm -hmm. it and how it works. Uh, Ron Yancey, Ron Yancey is our aunt's son that was a partner, she still is a shareholder. She's the last survivor of the second generation. She's 83, I think, mm -hmm. is that right? Yeah. And Jeannie, and that's Ron's mom. And Ron Yancey started in service when he was 18, worked through the service shop, service manager. Then we talked him into taking a sales position. And currently, mm -hmm. Mike, mm -hmm. we made him the manager of the Buckland location. Mm -hmm. So Ron's been here 40 years. Mm -hmm. I've been here 43. Letty Bachelor, that's our sister downtown. She was selling physical damage insurance. I'm, I'm 
using these examples because each one of these is a milestone <laughs> for our company. Does that make sense, <laughs> what I'm saying? Yeah. So Letty Batchelor was working downtown <laughs> selling insurance to a Bollinger agency downtown. John Deere comes out in 86 that says you have to have licensed people to sell physical damage insurance. And who obviously would be better than Letty. Reg retiring, he started with our grandfather in 44. Mm -hmm. So he's retiring in 86 and I had Letty trained by Red to be the controller and take over admin. So that was a milestone. Plus she's, our, she's a senior VP in our company now and manages all of admin for all locations. So she's got a big role and Kay is her assistant. So we're molding that. Craig Bowman, that's Letty's son-in-law. He's been here 10 years. He bought my house when I moved to Pratt after the tornado and he moved back and he was gonna either be a principal or he's a coach and a principal and, mm -hmm. and he ended up wanting to uh, get back in the dealership because financially he had enough kids, he, he just couldn't afford it and we were fortunate to get him hired. So there's Craig and a fourth generation uh, with my son and, and Brad. Now Brad Estes is ML Estes's son Okay, okay. So Brad moved to, he's got a degree from KU, KU. in uh, sports management, <laughs> ended up going to Vegas and, and then called one day and said he wanted to come back. So we were able to get Brad hired into sales and he's been in sales and works as a salesman mm -hmm. at the Buckland location. Recently, uh, we needed some more admin people. So Brad's wife, Michonne, uh, is uh, actually the re receptionist slash uh, handles like corporate administrator corporate like all the people like her. She's the receptionist here, but she kind of takes care of all the other receptionists. Yeah, the other make areas. sure that everybody's mm -hmm. on the receptionist Location side for the six locations is handled, and she's helped a lot immensely with that. And then you you can't make light of a, a guy that uh, retired, started with uh, out of college like mm -hmm. Mike and I and all of us mm -hmm. did, and worked 42 years. Uh, he did have mayor and farming and other outside interests, you know, mm -hmm. so it, it's why he basically wasn't uh, put in the position that I was, but he was instrumental in a lot of key functions that have happened throughout mm -hmm. our dealership. Mm -hmm. And Bud uh, has since retired. He called us one day and said uh, he'd been there 42 years. He was at the age of retirement. And uh, he said, what do you think if I wanna become uh, in the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. he could mm -hmm. serve a term. So he took a guy's term, served in the House, served there and then was elected another term in the House and then now has recently been elected in the Senate. So he's actually uh, in the Kansas Senate. He's a senator for the state of Kansas and he's enjoying his retirement years. But he still serves as a trustee on our on our board. Mm -hmm. So we, we have structure, we have a trust board that governs all of this, mm -hmm. but all of these things that I comment are milestones. And there are a lot of employees that are mm -hmm. milestones that are just, have been just as instrumental in making this successful. Yeah. Key thing I think the Estes family has is open, very open dialogue and communication. Mm -hmm. With a lack, you have to have communication with that much family involved. <laughs> and, and believe me, we, 
Mm-hmm. We do. We do. Over the 75 years, as you're you're talking through it, it, it looks like there's a mix of, of proper and very detailed planning. Some things that have happened maybe by circumstance, <laughs> by luck. Uh, looking forward, where does the growth come from? Since you had, you know, you were wanting to be strategic about your locations. Um, there's only so many locations mm-hmm. out there. When you look ahead, what part will be planning? What part will be maybe some luck? Well, the, yeah, the planning part, <laughs> You can only control what you can control, and the planning you can you can pretty much control that. You can control your processes that you put in place for future. And as I said, we sooner or later you run out of family. So part of our planning is putting people into strategic locations that aren't part of our family because we can't fill those spots. So for instance, uh, our managers at our locations, like the, with, the, with the Cody Dick I mentioned and other managers at the locations, they've been with us a while, but we, we hired them with the thought that this person can probably be a manager someday. And we have a, a process that we go through now, we put this into place here in the last several years of uh, a testing more or less to see where what are the strong suits of this particular individual and where could they fit into our dealership where could we use their talents and their expertise so we do that even before we hire them so we do things like that knowing that okay we're going to grow and we're going to have people retire we're going to have people leave the one thing about this society it's a very mobile society so if you don't plan for uh, more people to fill your spots. The other thing is, you know, equipment-wise, uh, we also plan a lot. Jeremy's very good at inventory planning for how much that we can sell. Because keep in mind, for every piece you sell, you've got a lot of trade-ins you're going to sell behind that. So you've got a lot of equipment just moving one piece that you're going to have to move. So you really have to plan that out and. Uh, the deer structure is just probably not, not unlike the Case IH and other competitor structure. They kind of look at that and they want you to sell, you know, so many pieces of, of this equipment in an area. That's how, how it works. But we also look at our aftermarket very strongly. And we look at parts and service and where can we get growth in that area? If we're not picking up more dealerships at the time, how do we pick up more business in a parts and service in an aftermarket area. So we spend a lot of time with that. We got a corporate aftermarket, you know, team, which is Mike Davis and, and Ryan, and that's parts and service. And they're looking specifically at those departments and how can they increase sales in, and not just sales, profitability. Really, like I said, we, we wanna look at the bottom line. You, you can give product away all day long, but if you're not making any money on it, what, what good does it do you? And I'm not talking about a, a, an obscene profit, just a profit so you can stay in business. So we, we strategize on that a lot. We have a lot of discussions. We have the internet, we use it a lot. We have these cameras that tie all of our dealerships together. So we have meetings you don't have to drive. You're right here. You can see all the stores up on the screen and you can hear what, what your counterparts are saying in their communities. So we do that every week. So it's, it's something you have to do. And that's part of the growth. I mean, it isn't just locations. It's what can you maximize out of your area 
where can you go up against a competitor and draw something away from him? You know, because it's a competitive business, very competitive business, by the way, and it's getting more so. So those are the things. Now, as far as opportunities down the road, we're always going to be open, but we're not going to do something just because, well, we want to be bigger. We want to, you know, because bigger isn't always better. I think we all know that. You've got to be better at what you do really, really well what you do. You know, if you're the best, people will come to you and they will come back again and again and again. Uh, our relationships go way, way back with our customers, and we're proud of that. And we want to keep those relationships. You know, that's kind of what the way I see it. Anything that you wanted to add on this idea of uh, looking forward, what BTI looks like even uh, 10 years? Mm -hmm. I think we're set for quite a while, no doubt for succession, mm -hmm. no doubt for management uh, that Jeremy or the successor has hired the majority of those people and put them in place. Uh, and a lot of the programs Mike are talking about, you know, uh, to make sure that they're the right people in the right structure. Uh, BTI is, is set uh, a lot of different ways. Um, financially, uh, we have put everything we've made since 87 back into our facilities and to our locations. We, we don't have a lot of catastrophic debt uh, out there. Uh, we're set to purchase whatever makes sense for us, not just for our company, but for both of us. I think, I don't know that the mergers and acquisitions and the way things are going, there might be some things happen if the economy doesn't change about other opportunities that can come up around us. But again, just because they do, if financially uh, it doesn't make sense as a company to do that, we probably wouldn't elect to do that. That I'm, takes some some real strength to to turn down those opportunities. Well, it, it does in in a lot of different instances because of the, the dynamics of the way the manufacturers are operating right now currently. Uh, I've seen that cycle over the years. I've been around a long time. And and I'm not saying it's the wrong uh, way to, to be a manufacturer or to handle it, but it, there's always the unforeseen that we've encountered already. <laughs> and and we know that, uh, and we don't wish that on anybody. And, and if it comes up, that's fine. And right now, truthfully, if it didn't, uh, we can we can make it work however long we need to make it work. Uh, we're not, we're kind of in a different situation with having that many counties and that much turf with six locations and not 13. So it, it does, it does work in our favor mm -hmm. currently. The other thing is when you purchase that many locations and you try to close some locations, because financially in the next 10 years it doesn't work, what does that do in those communities and what kind of signals could it send? You know, there could be a lot of reasons that we're happy we're not had those mergers mm -hmm. and acquisitions. We're not, we're not really, um, I think we're set for succession for mm -hmm. a long time, whether it's a decade or two decades. I think it's going to be up to this next generation and and our trust board that they're they're answering to our trust board mm -hmm. for the 
the next mm -hmm. couple generations are going to be coming to as long as we're around or that and that trust board will be around because there'll be successors on the trust board as well so i think uh, if the right opportunities come up you bet we're we're set we're financially set to do it uh, and if the good lord wants us to have an opportunity i guess they will um, we do like our company i mean we couldn't talk good enough about john deere and what they've been able to to do for the estes family um, and uh, it's just amazing some of the things that they've done. Mm -hmm. um, sure, there's always things that that we wished uh, we could have got, shoulda, woulda, coulda, but who can't say that in anything? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just sometimes the opportunities do come your way and sometimes they don't. Mm -hmm. Is there anything about, you know, your 75th, anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to, to share? Um, our 75th, uh, was really special and and we did so many different things and I, I give Carly uh, Frederick our marketing uh, gal all a lot of credit and then we put together she put together with us a plan for each celebration at each location and we had anywhere from 400 to to 550 at each location. We fed them all. We made it a family deal on a Saturday, each Saturday. Uh, and by doing so, we got a lot of the kids there. She had events, they had races with gators around, uh, in the buildings, uh, gator races inside the building. They had prizes. Uh, it, was, it was a family time. Mm -hmm. And it, it, she made it real special. The other thing we did is by pulling all the managers in, uh, we actually gave a, the use of a tractor and a loader for 250 hours for a complete year at every location. So there was a drawing at every place and they they saw that and they registered, uh, you know, for six months they were registering in those locations to try to stir up the excitement about our customer appreciation days. So I think the, the 75th was spot on to what we needed to She developed a logo, a 75th logo. We've got them out there. We've got them posted. Uh, we put them on our cups and our hats. And I mean, it just couldn't have been a better day uh, at each location. And, and I don't know about Mike. I couldn't attend them all. I don't know if Mike did. Uh, it was kind of, we always made sure that we were there. Some of us were there, but it, during that time, it was a little tough to get us all there. But the Buckland location, we did have uh, all of us uh, present for that. And the memorabilia and all the pictures and all the history and all the generations of customers coming in uh, was just, a, I think, a pretty special time. Was. But Mike, what do you think? No, I think you're dead on right. Um, we did kind of emphasize the Buckle location, I believe last it was because it was the original location, you know, that's kind of the headquarters. So we did that and uh, John Deere came out and recognized us at that uh, particular site with a with a plaque and with, mm -hmm. with uh, this recognition. So that was really neat. Uh, also recently, uh, we're a member of the Western Equipment Dealers Association up in Kansas City is where we go for a lot of our meetings, but they, they're all over. But anyway, Granddad was a member of that and first year he was a dealer. 
and that was uh, those hardware and implement dealers at the time. But uh, we're still a member, and they came out and gave us an award here about a month ago or so uh, and recognized us for that. They said that there's very, very few 75-year dealers out there. A lot of 50s, but 75, that's a pretty big milestone for them. So they sent a, a representative out with that to present that and post that. So we're, we're very glad we could make it that long. You know, most businesses and family businesses fail very quickly <laughs> within the first several years. For sure, you know, within 10 years, they're probably gone. So 75 years is a, is a pretty good milestone. We're, that's something to, to say we're proud of, for sure. The dealer number, our dealer number is DLR0016. And as far as I know, the they're, I think we're one of the oldest because there was only one other one that was like 13 and it went out about five years ago. So mm -hmm. I think we're one of the older dealer numbers in the branch, yep. in the Kansas City branch anyway. I'm sure there's older dealers in the country. <laughs> but, so. Now when you, when you come into work every day, uh, you know, you have a lot of your daily things. Do you have this, do you feel a sense of history every day when you come in or you do? <laughs> I do, for you sure. I think, you know, yeah. you kind of have to. Uh, and and the pictures, you know, th that brings it back to you too, you know, with that. I, we do have a picture of Grandpa at that meeting back in 45. The slogan was uh, 40, stay alive in 45 or something like that. Yeah, stay oh, alive right. in 45. <laughs> it, was like, it was quite, but at that dealer meeting, he was sitting there back at the table. So, uh, you know, that's pretty good, pretty neat that a family can stay in business for that period of time. I think Grandpa and Dad would be quite shocked to see what we've done. Maybe mad at us. I don't know. <laughs> but it's like it is an interesting thing uh, to carry on a tradition, you know. I think there's a lot of challenges ahead of us, um, no doubt. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Internet uh, is, a, is a big one. The broadband is a big one. The, the production ag is a big one. There's a lot of really good opportunities there in all of that that I just said. Uh, you just have to look for the opportunities. Uh, and I think, I think we're positioned to do that. Mm -hmm. I, I really do. I, I don't know what could hold us back. Of course, uh, you say that and then that's when it happens. But I feel really good about, about where BTI is. I feel really good about our people, uh, our customers. I just think really mm -hmm. we're, we're pretty fortunate to be where we're at. And our slogan at our planning meeting this, this year was power of the past, force of the future. Because it's our 75th, but the future calls and it's gonna be different. It'll, it's gonna push things along quite rapidly. You know, we, we see things moving very fast, but we wanna stay on that cutting edge. And uh, that's one thing we recognize we need to do. Mm -hmm. you know? In those breakouts, uh, what better people to figure this out than all of our our managers and all our people that we have in our positions to help us do that? Mm -hmm. We we can't do it. Mm -hmm. Very good. Well, that was I really appreciate all the anecdotes that you shared as well. And and I I wanted to ask you know we've talked a lot of produ about production agriculture, mm -hmm. uh, especially with technology and. Um, but you said with, uh, with Pratt, there's now some opportunities within the uh, real equipment, real lifestyle uh, market. Mm -hmm. So can you talk about what impact that is happening on your dealership now? Well, from 
our standpoint, because we're the we're the older generation, been around a while, and we were primarily grew up in the ag situation. But you know, deer started to recognize this, uh, you know, basically business to customer B to C kind of relationship <coughs> early on. I mean, we've had uh, the small riding tractors for decades, and then they even had lawn mowers and they had chainsaws. So they started to recognize this rural lifestyle is is here or it's coming strong way back when okay this was back in the 60s at least when they started doing all this but it's moved forward and been propelled a lot by those kind of uh, rural lifestyle customers that we now have and with the addition of pratt and great bend the only thing that's given us is a broader reach into that market you know, all of us all of our stores have this to some degree or another. We all sell the, the, the small tractors, the loaders, the mowers, the steel products. And, um, and so we recognize that, but it's, it's a little bit of a different sell than the, the farmer ag customer because they're, they're pretty much business to business. They are, we're selling to a business and they shop a little differently, quite frankly, a lot differently sometimes. And they, they know what they want. They know that we deliver that product and they want to talk to a salesperson. They want and their own personal salesperson and for the most part. They want to deal on a personal level like that. And that's how they shop. And that's, that's how we sell to them for years. But now we've got customers that are, that are looking at things differently, shopping differently. Uh, yeah, they still shop online, but you've got to have some kind of in-store relationship with these people. They want to see, and in a lot of cases, most cases, demo the products. Um, they do in the large ag too, but a lot of the large ag customers kind of pretty well follow that. But now you've got to demonstrate to the other customer and they want service. They want to know that if they buy something, we're there to take care of them. So we've had to emphasize that. I think part of the reason we have such large showrooms, you commented on the one you went in down there, how, you know, that was a remodel, is we're trying to reach those kind of customers as well. And they like to come in and see things and the products are displayed nicely. Our steel products have their own racks and uh, lawn mowers and everything in its play. We sell a lot of products like that. And so it's a different customer. It's a valuable one. There's more of them at bigger towns because they've got acreage out there. Uh, you've got that, uh, you know, like that farmer, uh, I'd say it's, he's a part-time, you know, he's a businessman, but he's got small farm and he's doing some of that kind of lifestyle stuff. We want to, sell to those people. We really do. We want to service them. They are a customer and we have products that fill the niche. Uh, Kelly's indicated that we gave away those small tractors at the stores. That's part of the reason we do that, to kind of look at that, Mar, look at what we've got. Because for so long, we didn't emphasize that. The small tractors were, you know, the foreign tractors that they always saw them as the cheaper. John Deere has done a lot with their products to hit that market. So John Deere's pushing this pretty hard and we are too. And we want that, we want to serve that market. So what-, what I think a lot of the, a lot of those type of buyers uh, do shop a lot online. Uh, they do a lot of internet buying, which we have to be sure and be ready for mm -hmm. that and, and provide those services via, if they don't want to come in, that we can do it with the internet or, smartphones or all kinds of different technologies. I do think the broadband is a big thing for mm -hmm. rural areas. Um, 
for for like JD Link, uh, you know, if they if they and they have been building it into some of the smaller products for service uh, for those suburbanites or those areas you're talking about on the smaller equipment that they can know that we're monitoring it and we will take care of their needs. I think is is huge, and I think John Deere uh, has has recognized that. You know, for BTI, you know, maybe those opportunities will come up in those uh, cities or those bigger areas. Not that we don't have it, because we are in some communities that we've been able to implement and be successful in the small uh, arena, small ag arena. And and we're gonna continue to strive to do better and do more. I do. I, I am impressed with our company. The fact that so much money goes to R and R, that they keep developing better products and processes that I think will uh, propel us even further. So, mm-hmm. well, you talked about loyalty, which was so important to your growth in serving production agriculture. Do you think that there's loyalty there with it within this market, or can you build some loyalty? I think. It's able to be built upon. It's pro- it's going to be somewhat harder because they, they as I said, they shop differently and they they look at things differently than a a long term customer that knows us very well. But in a small town, I think yes, for sure. Uh, I think you can build that, uh, and hopefully we can build as much. A, a lot of it depends on. As I said earlier, you can't. You've got to earn people's business, and you can't demand it. And just because you're in a small town, you can't say you got to buy from me because I live here. That, that's that doesn't fly. You've got. They don't have to buy from you in any shape or form. You have to show them why they should buy from you instead of the other guy down the street or in another town. A lot of times, it's another community. We're a small town. Dodge City's close. Other, you know, bigger town, Garden City, you name it, they've got bigger towns around. So what keeps them from going there? Uh, you, you hope you can build some degree of loyalty. A lot of it is having the right product for them or at least letting them know we can get it. We can get what you need. Let us, you know, but it's hard because you don't really have the same salesman every time, you know, for that. You, not always, but uh, it's just loyalty in that market is a little tough. But we don't want them to go to Home Depot, but, you know, we'd rather sell them the product here. And if they know we can, we've got a really good tech that can fix that thing, they'll probably buy here. I mean, the probabilities increase, so. We hope we can build some of that. We really do. I think we've built some of it already, uh, but I do believe, you know, future technologies could help drive <clears throat> more of that our way. We just got to be uh, able and ready to implement what it might take to to be successful in that. Um, and I don't know, you know, if somebody knows you care about them enough that you're watching uh, their equipment, uh, something, if their filter on their mower is plugged up and you can actually tell them before the engine blows, you know, maybe you ought to have a service that, there's not a lot of other companies that have that technology mm-hmm. that could drive that. And that's kind of what I was referring to. I, I don't know, I don't know what creates loyalty in today's world uh, necessarily, <laughs> uh, but you'd like to mm-hmm. think the majority of the people uh, 
that you want to do business with would appreciate that and do that. Mm -hmm. If it's all about bottom line and price, you know, it's probably not going to be a successful company uh, in the long thick of things, regardless of what company that is. Because mm -hmm. if they're there today just buying business and putting it out there, doesn't mean it's going to stay. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. That it's makes true. sense. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Kelly and Mike Estes for this in-depth look at the founding evolution and future of their 75-year-old dealership. The idea of culture, family, and loyalty resonated throughout the discussion. Kelly Estes shared a comment that shows their optimism for their future. He says, you just have to look for the opportunities. I think we're positioned to do that. I don't know what could hold us back. Stay tuned for additional podcasts from our experts and dealers. Our podcast is now available on Spotify. It can also be found on iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. If you're not yet a subscriber to our print or digital content, head on over to RuralLifestyleDealer.com and join our community. From all of us at Rural Lifestyle Dealer, I'm Lynn Wolf, and thanks for listening. <laughs>